and welcome to Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. And boy, it's been a while since I've been on, but alas, since then things haven't really gone in my direction. How I wish we could go back to the 80s when Bayern only won 6 out of a possible 10 championships and Frankie went to Hollywood, but whilst I've been away in the woods of Norway, Bayern all but sealed the deal and pretty much, as everyone agrees, won the title. But hey, not all things are bad considering that Rick Astley did in fact give up on us. My name is Nick Wiltagen and alongside me to break down all the action of Matchday 28 is Fallrouter podcaster and Borussia Mönchengladbach fan and keen Bundesliga follower Manuel Breuer. Welcome to the show once again, Manuel. Hey Nick, thanks for having me. Great to have you on. Um, in today's uh, episode, we'll be circling in on Borussia Mönchengladbach. We'll, we'll spend quite some, some time talking about them. Additionally, we'll also feature the matches between Eintracht Frankfurt and Wolfsburg, the Borussia Dortmund turnaround, and what's been going on in the battle against relegation quite heavily on this show. So this is part one of Talking Foosball and Manuel, it's no secret that you are partial to the folds, so let's start off with your team. It must have been uh, quite a roller coaster ride for you on Saturday. Jan Sommer, your goalkeeper, was sent off after 13 minutes. Hertha seemed to make the man advantage count uh, when uh, Santiago Ashiba hammered home a shot from, from outside the area. But then suddenly the folds kicked into gear and player and Stindl turn things around in the first half. What did you make of this topsy-turvy first half of your team? A really interesting uh, performance, really interesting match for, I think, also the neutral you know, spectators and certainly a roller coaster for Gladbach and Hertha supporters. I thought Gladbach did um, a really you know, fine job, um, not only in the first half, but also in the second half, which is more you know, defensively colored, um, but especially turning around the the, the Hertha lead in in, the, in half in the first half with two excellent goals. It has to be said. I mean, of course, one is a penalty by Stindl, but the the, the play uh, you know leading to the goal or to the penalty uh, was quite quite well executed. Um, and you know that you have to show some some guts and, and and come back from this. And it hasn't been easy for Gladbach in the Rückrunde overall, right? Mm. Yeah. So you you mentioned that that uh, that it ended up two two and and. Obviously, John Cordoba got a goal back for, for Hertha in the second half. Despite that, Gladbach held, held on to the point. How annoyed were you in the end that your team actually let a lead slip? I think if you look at the overall stats and, and overall you know, sh- you know shots on goal and, and, and the way Hertha was pushing even, or especially after the equaliser, pushing for the third goal, you have to be satisfied you know, playing with 10 men for, for about 75 minutes. But... Overall, I felt, you know, there were a lot of 50-50 decisions that went against Gladbach. Not to say that the ref got it wrong, but it's just so it has to be one or the other. And it always went the wrong side, especially the 2-2 offside or onside rather decision was, um, you know, there was never any still image of the of the line from the VAR overruling. Um, so you feel a little bit, ooh, you know, why so many decisions that could have gone the other way? There was the Turam penalty situation in the second half. Some are sending off, which is uh, okay, of course. Um, but you know, lots of little little aspects where you could felt it would have been so great for the team to to come back from this with ten men and actually get all three points. Mm. But we talked a lot about Lapa and how they they hit sort of a slump in form ever since Marco Rosa announced that he was going to leave the club at the end of the season. But 
you know, in the in the last couple of weeks, the club and the team have certainly turned a corner, haven't they? Yes, I would feel that uh, the the 3-0 victory away to Schalke was somewhat a turning point. But uh, more importantly, the second half against Freiburg um, last week was important to where Freiburg completely outplayed Gladbach. And, and there was an awful first half. So just getting these points, no matter how, really, because the Schalke game was all but brilliant, has calmed the atmosphere around Borussia Park. And it's if, most supporters are now also focusing on who's going to Who's going to replace Marco Rosa? So focus has shifted away, and um, and some of the players also re-gets into their well second form after autumn matches or summer matches were quite good. Uh, we've seen Turam now being really deadly again and really dangerous in the box. A player now scored against Berlin after he last scored against Union Berlin in January, um, and most of all uh, Dennis Zakaria, who's played a sort of a you know, sweeper um, in the in the back three or back five um, uh, on the weekend. He, you know, after being having been injured for eight, seven, nine months, maybe um, he's now he's now back to his old self at least in the last two or three matches. Yes, and additionally, I mean, one of the things that really struck me for like the the last few weeks was was always the fact that there was a lot of things written in the press about you know the team not standing behind Marco Rosa and this and that. But at the end of the day, I, I never felt like he lost the dressing room because it seemed like the players were still responding to what he was telling them, first of all. And second of all, I do think that most of these guys are professionals and they know if they if Dortmund came knocking on their door, they couldn't say no either, could they? So I think the last couple of weeks, if if anything, they, they've proven that Michael Rose's what he says still, still goes over well with the players. Yes, I agree. I mean, I think overall this is often o- overestimated how independent or how dependent a football team is a football team of professionals i shall add is on their on their manager or you know the coach they they implement something the team the team follows these ideas but ultimately it's it's them deciding things on the pitch so you you can see this nowadays with clubs like bayern munich where you can see a lot of talking i'm not saying that of course hansi flick is not is not a you know very very suitable manager but they micromanage their own game on the pitch and it's probably also true to a large extent with Gladbach. Now, there have been some instances where you feel that we felt in, in the games they lost or in this, this losing streak they had um, now in, in February and in, in March. You know, at times the sort of team trailed off, um, you know, bleeding against in Leipzig and other teams and then being completely hammered or running out of steam against Dortmund, Leverkusen in the second half, losing uh, at home to Mainz. There were a few instances where you felt, well, maybe it's just your head goes down more easily or there's a little bit missing and it's just the wrong atmosphere around the club at the moment. So I think it certainly did play a role, but it's not an all or nothing the situation where the Priests just don't care anymore because Rosa, you know, decides to decides to move on, which they most of them will eventually as well. Indeed. Well, I mean, looking at the table, four points up to Europe, Europa League spot, uh, only one point, I think, to currently is called the Conference League. But where do you see Gladbach heading for the rest of the season? Do you, do you think that Marco Rosa can sort of get a somewhat decent goodbye from, from Borussia Park and, and secure a place in the Europa League? Yes, I, I hope. I mean, of course I hope so, because, you know, not not necessarily have to add for the for for Marco Rosa, but just because, you know, um, because of the supporters and, and, and following the club for decades, I just always want, you know, the optimum on, on what you can get out of a season. And I think um, facing fr- Frankfurt next week is a big is a big match. If you if you get any points from from this, you can certainly then look to to maybe beat Hoffenheim and Bielefeld. 
Um, and it's just it's it's up for grabs to to finish sixth or seventh. The other teams in that part of the league they're not exactly you know winning every week. Um, so <laughs> certainly certainly you should try to to just you know get as much out of this. The, the season is far from being over, and I think the players have really really shown that they still care in the last three games, picking up seven points. Now, as we mentioned, uh, Michael Rose is going to that other Borussia. And you mentioned Frankfurt there. That, that's interesting, not only because they're, they're your opponents next week, <laughs> but but uh, Bild has, it, has written today that Gladbach have agreed terms with Adi Hütter, who's, as, as most of our listeners will know, currently employed by Eintracht Frankfurt. Kicker has strongly suggested the, the same thing that uh, Hütter is a, as one of the top candidates for the job at Borussia Park. Now, Bill usually uh, usually get those things right. However, they sort of shot themselves in the foot a little bit in terms of their credibility when it comes to these things. When they announced a couple of weeks ago, or three or four weeks ago, that Xabi Alonso was set to take over and that the deal was all but, but sealed. And it turned out not to be true. So let's keep that in mind when we discuss this going forward. But Adi Hütter, he sounds like a great candidate for Borussia Mönchengladbach. But why would he leave a Champions League side? I mean, one of our listeners, Dana Minor, got in touch with on face- on Facebook asking, how on earth can somebody leave a club that's set for the Champions League and join a team that at best is probably going to finish up in a Europa League spot? I guess looking at this at the current situation in spring 2021, it's it's a fair question, and and you would think that he wants to then you know <laughs> read what he saw in, in with Frankfurt playing Champions League next year, of course, and it won't happen in Gladbach. Overall, you know maybe there's a feeling for Adi Hütter that um, things are turning the wrong way in Frankfurt with uh, Freddy Bobic prime to leave for for Hertha. And, you know, a, a couple of players like, well, for example, Amin Yunus, they're only on loan. So, you know, there could just be things, you know, people moving on in summer um, and all of a sudden you're looking at a different Eintracht Frankfurt and we've seen, and this is also partly too for, for Gladbach, you've seen that those teams from this part of the of the Bundesliga, uh, uh, you know, rankings, they occasionally they struggle the following season when they are in the Champions League, when they are in all three competitions. Um, and this might be true for, for Frankfurt as well. Um, at this stage, of course, it's, yeah, you know, it's a bit surprising. But I think Max Abel has shown for over a decade now that he is an excellent sporting director and there is absolute you know, quiet, a quiet, uh, you know, surroundings for, for anyone uh, trying to build something. Uh, Abel has now demonstratively um, protected Rosa at the press conference when they announced that he would leave. He's he's never let any doubt that he's still behind Rosa. He believes in him. And that was, of course, noticed in the Bundesliga, probably even internationally. And I think the likes of Adi Hütter and other candidates that were discussed, is still discussed because it's not confirmed, looked at this and you know, this put Gladbach on the map for anyone having success, and that probably also includes Adiota, who's never stayed longer than three years with with his clubs. I mean, three years is pretty much a, a perfect span of time for any coach or most coaches, because I mean, most coaches they have their philosophy and their philosophy is set, and they are basically telling their players sort of the same things week in and week out. And at one point, you know, that message gets old. So three to four years is probably ideal span of time, time span for, for any coach at any given club. 
because as Pep Guardiola said to a Catalan journalist back when he started at Bayern München, he, he thought that, you know, staying at Barca the la- that last season was a mistake because the players were weary of what he was telling them and they were tired of what he was telling them. So three years, probably a great, great amount of time to spend at any given club in that regard. Additionally, and I think that is probably even a bigger point if Hütter indeed should decide to to join British Mönchengladbach. Gladbach, I think that stability of Max Ebel there that is really speaking in Gladbach's favor because now Frankfurt are promoting a guy who used to be in their scouting department. A lot of unknowns going forward. And knowing the world of football, given the season that Silva's having, given that Jovic might be on his way back to Real Madrid at some point, you sort of see, you know, this team sort of is going to be looked at by the bigger boys in Europe. And a lot of those players are not going to be there next year, are they? Yes, I think, you know, as much as Gladbach entering the Champions League uh, also in previous years, you know, these teams get do get picked apart in Bundesliga because they don't have the financial backing to simply hold on to all their players. That's basically only Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. So that might be something Frankfurt will experience last year and they have done in the past with, you know, um, with, with with other players and, you know, of course, Jovic, including Jovic himself. Um, and so maybe there's a little bit, Gladbach has the edge here a little bit uh, on development structure, infrastructure of the club. And, and it might may play a role in the decision that is, you know, I try to be defensive here. So <laughs> it's not uh, it's not not yet confirmed um, because we had the Alonso well, chapter a couple of weeks back. And um, but as you say, as you know, this is it's looking likely now build build has announced this. And I think even more so important was that was uh, announcement by Kicker, um, who announced it actually from both journalists, sort of journalists covering Gladbach now for a long time and also from Frankfurt. So they brought a uh, piece together on on this being the absolute most likely or you know soon to be announced uh, scenario. So it does you know it it's, it looks very likely now. Going about the style of football that Adi Hütter is playing at Frankfurt, do you think he's a suitable candidate? Is, is he an ideal candidate to take the foals forward into the future? I think so. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely not different from the broad idea that someone like Mark Rosa has tried to implement and maybe lost a little bit in the second season, but it's, you know, playing football on the front foot, um, whether it's going to be a, a back three and a um, heavy focus on the wing, like Frankfurt now has with Kostic, for example, that remains to be seen because I think Hütter is good enough to to adapt his material to, or, you know, to, to whatever he wants to play. But generally, you have a lot of um, powerful strikers and ideally you could, you could play three strikers. And I think that is the football that you would like to see and that is also how the Gladbach team has been shaped in the last two to three seasons. So exciting times going forward in the Bundesliga. And, you know, I mean, given that Hütter is going to end up at Gladbach, if that is going to happen, you just see that that game of musical chairs of coaches moving around all all around the league because this is most certainly going to have a knockout effect because yeah. obviously Frankfurt would like to have somebody taking over for Hütter and they're probably not going to promote a youth coach I would assume going, going by the fact that they're indeed a Champions League side next season before we talk about Frankfurt's match um, let, let's talk a little bit about your arch rivals there at uh, Esther FC Köln who um, had a very important home match against Mainz Oh five. Well, you told your family that you were sick and that only watching football could cure it. Uh, in order to watch as much football as possible, leading up up to to this podcast recording. So you actually watched the match between the two carnival clubs, and uh, it really lived up to that carnival moniker, didn't it? Because it was a wild ninety minutes. What's your take on that match? 
I'm glad like, you, you you said it. You know the whole carnival aspect because you know my my words may way differently <laughs> coming coming from uh, coming from Gladbach side. Um, but yeah, it was it was uh, an interesting match. I think probably the most interesting or one of the most interesting Cologne matches of the season um, in terms of action on the pitch and, and in the box. Yeah, and I thought Cologne would see this through at halftime or, you know, beginning of the second half. And then, yeah, the, the turnaround came. I think Mainz is, after all, the more mature side in terms of the football they are able to play and individual skills. And we've seen that with the goals they scored in the second half. However, they left, you know, they left a lot of the pitch to Cologne. And I think with the uh, likes of Duda, um, Kainz had a good match, I thought, as a returnee. I think it was his first starting 11 this season. Anderson up front, better options for Cologne, better options overall, but certainly for for you know for this clash. And yeah, they they delivered. You know, it was more it was more on you know on the penalty and and getting ball in the box. But you know, it was, a, it was an open match, and Cologne could have nicked it, could have won it. Um, they had their chances. But as I was saying, I felt Mainz when they dialed it up they were a bit more fluid in how they could explore the space and that's also kind of the story of the of the equalizer and of the third goal yeah the third goal actually came in uh, an extra time uh, and that is when when cologne had committed a lot of men forward and uh, Mainz then ruthlessly counter-attacked and, and nick that win i mean on the one hand side you want your team to push forward and you want your team to secure as many points as possible but when you're in a situation like cologne wouldn't it have been the more mature thing to do after 90 minutes to say, okay, we're not risking that one point that we're getting our hands on now? In hindsight, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but as I was saying, there were lots of opportunities and, you know, Shkiri is also pushing forward. Red Shabai came on and, and these are options. These are players who, who scored late winners, for example, in Gladbach in the Derby. You gotta, you just gotta try it. I, I know nowadays a home match doesn't count for much anymore. But uh, I think, you know, going coming from this match with a victory would have been huge for Cologne. Um, now it's, yeah, yeah, it's sort of uh, completely <laughs> flipped around for them. But um, I think they, could, they just felt that they could hurt in the center of the pitch. They could hurt uh, Mainz more than what Mainz could have done or did to them. You know, as I was mentioning, Dudan Skiri, Hector, I thought had a, had a good game. They, they were pretty much in control, but um, it just sort of, with Cologne, and that's often the scene just slips away because then all of a sudden there's just a lapse in, in concentration, you know, and there's there's that run by Nyakate uh, in in injury time, and then you know Maveni is, is through on the on the wing, and and that was that. So yeah, it was a risky approach in the last uh, half an hour for Cologne, and yeah, it didn't pay off. And now of course they're staring at the abyss a little bit. Well, and when you're staring at the abyss, it's time to bring in a new coach. Well, I mean, that's that's how the business of football works. It's not really... I mean, there have been many articles, scientifically researched work, uh, looking at the sort of phenomenon of firing your coach and bringing in another one. And uh, actually, most, most, most of these articles tell you that the effect of, you know, hiring and firing coaches at this point of the season and uh, overall is quite likely next to zero it maybe gives you a push for two or three matches and then sort of everybody drops back to their normal performances once the team has sort of set into their first starting 11 once again so for the billy goats they have fired a well-known name a well-known fireman in Friedhelm funkel who um sort of has been working all over west germany i don't think he's worked for your team 
but he's worked pretty much for any other side playing in the Bundesliga and Bundesliga 2 around the rural area, I feel. Um, so what do you make of that move? I mean, out goes Marcus Gisdol, the, the once-hailed laptop coach. In comes Friedhelm Funkel, the not-so-laptop-y coach. <laughs> I think it's an odd move uh, in, in a way that uh, everyone who, you know, who involved probably struggles to see um, how this is how this looks like a like a well thought through move of course there were rumors that this was going to happen or this was almost announced i think kika again had a story that this is going to happen if cologne doesn't get three points um or at least one from this match um and so it feels a bit uh well result driven in the sense that you know cologne did have a decent match again it was one of the better ones of the season Okay, they were unlucky, but you know there were so, so many performances, and uh, Cologne supporters would agree here that they were you know absolutely uh, appalling this year. So it's a bit you know what do you, what do you want as a club? Um, however, I can understand that there was this you know this maybe this potential push that could happen of for one or two games. Otherwise, it will just you know regress back to the zero net effect of, of a new coach however if you get this for one or two matches now with seven remaining you might just get enough points from there so maybe that's the calculation there that uh, was done at uh, at fc uh, or fc clubhouse <laughs> well good thing for them that the next two matches are against Bayer leverkusen and rb leipzig <laughs> uh. <laughs> well you know you know traditionally against against leverkusen certainly they cologne quite often carved out a good result so maybe you know there's part of that is thinking is to get a win over uh, Leverkusen and sort of kickstart the rest of the season. All right, you heard it here first. Moving on, Eintracht Frankfurt against Wolfsburg. Uh, now, this is truly a lesson in efficiency by the Eagles because they managed to create four goals from eight shots, an XG of 0.75. Yes, 0.75. So that's below one, one expected goal in total. The Wolves, on the other hand side, created a whopping 20 shots, an XG of almost two. But, you know, they lost out to that ruthless Frankfurt side. So what, what did you make of this crazy encounter between those two sides that seemingly are set to compete in next season's Champions League? I think amazing 90 minutes of football to watch. Of course, you, you know, now discussing a, a seven-goal match before that, Frankfurt, Mainz and, and Cologne was five-goal match. And, but of a different quality, certainly. <laughs> uh, no offense, but, uh, you know, these two just at each other. Um, you know, Wolfsburg being a team that presses high, that really goes for it, and Frankfurt are just so fluid and clinical once they have the ball in the way they go forward. And you can see that don't, you know, they do believe in scoring at any moment. And that's the story pretty much of the Jovic goal, where Silva just does this power run. The ball gets to him. Uh, you know, he has to, he has ricochets off the defender. He's still in the game. I think it was Brooks. So, and then the ball is almost going out and he just tackles it to an assist and Jovic just hits it home. Not many teams score from that playing position, right? And um, yeah, Silva then remains deadly on the third goal. Uh, and it's just, it, it was a lot of back and forth. I think this hit the record number of sprints. Um, I don't know the exact number, but it must be somewhere in the 700s of, of sprints executed on the pitch. So a lot of intensity, and I don't think many teams currently can go can go that speed. Probably not even Bayern Munich being being a little bit well drained by, by, by the Champions League season. So really good moment of good 90 minutes of football. I, I unfortunately I couldn't watch the entire match, but you know what I've seen looked uh, looked amazing. Yeah, and I hear your point about Frankfurt always looking like they, they believe like they could score because I remember that, that game against Borussia Dortmund they played and they got that late, late goal and, and actually it was just that 
you thought that Hummels had cleared the ball and you thought, okay, it's going out for a meaningless corner kick. Nobody's going to commit forward. But then somehow the Antwerp player just gets onto the ball, crosses into the area and yeah, ball is headed home into the net and Borussia Dortmund, they don't look like they know what, what has hit them. So both of these sides, they're going to play in the Champions League next season. As we discussed earlier, Frankfurt probably without Freddy Bobic, maybe even without Adi Hütter. Wolfsburg on the other hand side, they have uh, Jörg Schmatke and Oliver Glasner staying put as seemingly. So all things considered, who do you think is better prepared for, for European football out of the two of them? Well, I think maybe Frankfurt has 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 the edge on the, the attacking quality or the perform the look of the performance on the pitch. But I think Wolfsburg has shown throughout the season that they can play a very efficient, a very physical football. And that probably gets, gives you good results in Europe. Now, that said, of course, you have to then take into account that you play way more <laughs> way more matches and, you know, travel your up-road. So this really intense midfield pressing they, they exert and, and really controlling, bossing the pitch with Schlager, Arnold, and then you have the runs of, you know, Stefan or Baku. They, you know, they have to really be able to show that throughout the entire entire campaign. Then, at least until the the, the winter break uh, in the Champions League. But I do think they have this physicality that the big teams in the Champions League also show, where they just boss off the smaller teams who play great football. That's why they're there. But you know, it's a little bit of showing on the pitch that that you're not to be you're not to be taken too lightly or pushed over. And I think Wolfsburg had they have it in them to. Um, maybe get good results in the Champions League, I would say. Yeah, and, uh, you know, additionally, as I mentioned earlier, I do think that this Frankfurt side is probably going to get picked apart <laughs> during the summer. And, I mean, this happened to them before. I mean, I, I remember that they lost Rebic, Haller, and Jovicic in rather quick succession, and, and they managed to, to you know, find suitable replacements for all, all three, in, in a sense. But, um, hey, that was during Freddie Bobic's time at the club, and he's now going to. So, so a lot of unanswered questions in, in, in regards of what is going to happen over there at Frankfurt. So it's a bit of a wild card for me. Um, well, moving on uh, to our last match in, in part one, Stuttgart against Dortmund. Now, these two teams, they tend to produce quite epic matches between the two of them. And this weekend's top spiel truly lived up to its billing. Kalasic uh, scored the only goal uh, of the first half as, as Dortmund struggled to find their feet. However, in, in the second half, things got better for the other Borussia Manuel. What happened? Well, I think uh, if I had the answer to that, I, a lot of uh, Dortmund supporters would, you know, <laughs> uh, listen to my news or li- read my weekly newsletter on Borussia Dortmund. Dortmund is really a mystery, I have to say. Uh, I mean, the first half, you, you watch their game, they, they are in control, get about six, seven to one shots. But it's all it's all not too convincing. It's it's decent uh, build-up, you know, with uh, Dahoud, Bellingham, Delaney, they're controlling midfield. But Stuttgart always looked sort of threatening. And then with their, I guess it's their plan B now, with uh, Sosa, uh, you know, a really, a really looping cross onto Kalajic. Um, before that, it was a, a run by Gonzalez or Silas. So <laughs> this is kind of Stuttgart's plan B, but it works in an excellent way. They scored the first goal and, and, and somehow they looked like the team would could go on and score the second goal. And finally, eventually Dortmund turns up and, and turns around. I think it was just um, with the early goal they got in the second half, they had more space and finally remembered that it's all good and well to pass the ball around the box, but you have to 
make these fast one-twos or layoffs to actually really move the defenders, which they weren't able to do in the first half. In the second, they did. And after all, it's Dortmund, so they have depth in their squad and they, they, they turned up again, um, you know, with, with players who could make the difference. I thought, uh, you know, bringing on Knauf was good. He he really can get into the sort of dribbles and, and, and one-on-one situation on the wing. And yeah, he gets the winner, you know, uh, playing against City, now getting the winner in the Bundesliga for his goal. It's... Um, uh, it's quite a story for him. It is, and uh, you know, it's going to be exciting where his career is heading from from here on out. Um, well, I think this this match is sort of a perfect mirror picture of Borussia Dortmund's season so far, because, as you said, in the first half, plenty of possession, but they're not really doing anything with it, and uh, Stuttgart's actually looking like they are able to hurt them. In the second half, they're actually turning up and they're creating some magical moments. But despite that, I mean, when you when you look at that second goal for for Stuttgart, Dortmund are leading two one at that point. Yet they sort of commit enough men forward to run into a counter-attack where Stuttgart suddenly is having a four against two <laughs> at the other end. And that is unforgivable. That is madness. I mean, a site like Stuttgart is certainly going to punish it. But, you know, when, when you have these sort of defensive errors in the Champions League against even bigger teams in the league, yeah, you're always going to get found out. And, I mean, that that is basically happened too many times this season despite there being some occasional glimpses of brilliance by the Stormont side. So for me, it, it really boils down to the fact, was letting go of Lucien Favre a mistake in terms of, you know what, maybe you should have gone for a more high-profile solution than Edin Terzic? Well, yeah, I think it, it just, again, shows what you... Uh, said earlier referred to you know a change of, of a manager and that was of course for the relegation zone battle but it's also most often true for for the teams high up and in, in, in you know in the, in the table because the squad has a certain quality in it and and it's it's also in the composition of the squad what are they capable of doing together so in Wolfsburg as we just discussed you have a very you have a very structured side and they're very physical and they can build possession and they can build dominance in midfield and Dortmund has this almost run and gun style football which is fantastic at times and they get across the pitch in 10 seconds with wonderful one twos and you know Haaland is there to finish it and you have a lot of exciting players who can who can easily go past two or three players however they always drop their guard and, and concede really ridiculous goals as you said this, the, the, the second goal by Stuttgart it's just crazy to think that a team that is pushing for a Champions League semi-final and another qualification for the Champions League does not then see off a team, you know, uh, away, a team that just got promoted, just, you know, see them off 2-1 and score score counter-attack later on. No, it's always game on with Dortmund until the until the dying minutes of the of the match so it's a bit crazy <laughs> indeed all right this is going to be the last words for part one join us in part two where we are going to take a closer look at the battle against relegation So here's part two of Talking Foosball. Let's start with uh, some of the matches that were going on in the battle against relegation. And how about Friday night's fixture between Bielefeld and Freiburg? Another hard-fought Bielefeld match. A great result for the team from, from the town that probably doesn't exist. So we're probably just watching holograms taking on that those real Freiburg players. I think the less said about the match, the better. Needless to say, Bielefeld actually had, had the better chances but not really brilliant chances in the end an own goal by um, 
was it Santa Maria? Got them actually deserved 1-0 win. So this is seven points from the last four matches for Bielefeld now. And that begs the question, can they actually survive in the Bundesliga? Because seven points from four matches during this phase of the season, that is actually quite good for a side that is looking to avoid relegation. It is, and I think uh, Bielefeld is now... Well, it's really came on for Bielefeld. Um, Frank Kramer, now the new the new coach, has changed things around a little bit, brought in some players who were benched before, and uh, it just looks like there's a bit more freshness to the squad and belief, and they showed it in the second half, getting more and more dangerous, um, scoring that well, lucky win. And I think Ortega, the keeper, said afterwards, we score crazy, weird goals <laughs> afterwards. And that's probably also true for this one. But, you know, it's it's these kind of wins you need to get to, 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 to be saved eventually. And um, it looks like they believe in themselves, and that's always the first step. That's what Schalke or other clubs have been trying trying to do the whole season and that has failed spectacularly um with Bielefeld now yes they're certainly in the race and I can see them um staying in given what just happened with uh, you know Köln and uh, Hertha is struggling still so yeah they're in it actually they're actually taking on Augsburg on the road and then Schalke the following week uh, which means that um you know Augsburg we sort of thought that they were going to be out of it but then they lost on 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 the road to Schalke this weekend. Another match that you know we don't need to to discuss thoroughly because it was it was not a pretty brilliant match. But you know if Bielefeld indeed gets three points against Augsburg and gets the result against Schalke, suddenly Augsburg are back in it as well. Schalke's win, of course, which is nice for the club and the fans, was their only only their second win of the season. Not a glamorous performance by any mean by any stretch of the imagination, but it was. The first win under new coach Dimitrios Gramosis. And for the Royal Blues, it's probably going to be a relief that they are now on more points than Tasmania Berlin were after they finished their negative record-setting season back in 65-66. By the way, we have an episode out on that season on our Patreon channel if you want to hear about just how awful Tasmania were during that one season and the top flight. But as for the result between Schalke and Augsburg, this really showed why A, Augsburg is really a crap team to watch, and B, Schalke didn't didn't necessarily live up to that label of being a Bundesliga-worthy team, did they? <laughs> yeah, I think I mentioned earlier that uh, Stuttgart um, sort of has their plan plan B in attacking now with uh, some injured players, and I think it showed that much so that Augsburg doesn't really have a plan B. So they are looking to, you know, look solid defensively and then hit teams on the counter-attack and then conceding an early goal against Schalke threw that overboard and they never really took the game to Schalke and Schalke was in control most of the time and uh, looked a more threatening side and um, deserved win uh, probably too little too late for Schalke but uh, of course you know they still have to continue and try to get points no matter how yes I mean the the by, at, at this point, they're guaranteed to be the second worst side in Bundesliga history. If they get, gather one more point, they'll eventually catch up to SV Wuppertal, who finished their Bundesliga season on 14 points. So uh, that's probably going to be the goal for the next six matches to um, you know get past those couple of teams that only got 14 points during their one season in the Bundesliga. Uh, another team that is, uh, you know, getting back into that fight against relegation is Werder Bremen. I mean, four match days ago, we said, well, 11 points, done and dusted. Well, four losses on the bounce. Now a 4-1 loss against RB Leipzig. Looks like Werder is actually, they have, it's going to be a tough end to the season for Werder Bremen and Florian Kofold, isn't it? Yes, that's certainly true. I think um, Werder has 
too little to offer to, to really easily now step it up and you know win some of the matches that remain comfortably but of course on the other hand in their defense if you hit the match against Leipzig the way they did it's it's it was never going to be easy you know so out outclassed outbossed in, in midfield um, not getting the second balls a lot of uh, you know, several of the Leipzig goals were just sort of getting back into or around the zone crossing it in getting that goal um, and it was it was over before it really started you know what was it uh, 3-0 after or was it 40 minutes mm. way way too easy and of course if you look at the recent results it was it was you know losing to Bayern Munich losing to Wolfsburg yeah, it would have been nice to get points. Very unlucky against Stuttgart. Yeah. I mean, own goal by Ludwig Eriksson towards the end of, of that match. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of like, you know, they weren't necessarily outdone by Bayern. Uh, only lost by one goal. They lost by one goal against Stuttgart. Struggled a little bit more against Wolfsburg and yeah, against RB Leipzig. They were utterly outdone. Uh, for them, it's... Uh, Dortmund next, and then it's Mainz, which is probably going to be one of their most important matches going forward. Because win that one, and you might very well be out of the battle against relegation. Additionally, Dortmund, you never know which which side is turning up. Uh, would be nice for Werder if it wasn't if, if it wasn't the good Dortmund side. But going against the results that Werder have had against top top six teams this season, probably going to struggle in that one as well. So um, yes, I'm I'm not necessarily looking forward to the next couple of matches well Nick I, I know how much you, you care for the club I just hope they're you know safe on match day 34 when uh, when Gladbach is uh, <laughs> is uh, being welcomed at at, uh, at Weserstadion so um, you know that we can take the points uh, without doing any or causing any harm to Werder Bremen <laughs> well that's uh... remains to be seen <laughs> That's, that's, that's very nice of you. Um, we've got one more match uh, we haven't mentioned so far, and that is Bayern only drawing a match against the mid-table side. They were actually drawing against Union Berlin. And usually we would have featured that at the top of the show in part one. But, you know, this time around, we're actually confident that it's just a glitch. Bayern are sort of... They're struggling with injuries. Um, they're struggling... They're struggling to putting a team together, and and right now, the gap at the top of the table is so big that it doesn't really matter. That it's only one point. Did you have any other takeaways from that match between them and Union Berlin? Mm, no, I think it's just a classic result when you are in between matches, such as the Champions League, and to have lots of injured players, and you feel a bit of, you know, the B squad. Um, Berlin wasn't that threatening, but they sort of woke up towards the end and realized they could actually take one, if not three points, and. Um, it's a fair result. Yeah, and uh, finally, if you're a math freak and you've counted, you'll realize we've featured eight matches so far. And uh, you being a math freak, you would know that the Bundesliga has 18 teams, which means there have to be nine matches, right? Nine matches. Well, um, turns out we are recording this on Monday night. And whilst we're recording, uh, Hoffenheim are actually taking on Bayer Leverkusen, which is sort of a, a battle between a side that wants to get out of, the, out of the battle against relegation. Hoffenheim on 30 points. Bayer Leverkusen wants to secure a place in the Europa League, so both need a win. But what we can talk quickly about is, is the fact that this is going to be the last Monday night match going forward. And that really is a that is a big win for, for Germany's fans and ultras, isn't it? Well, I completely agree. I think that's what um, the Bundesliga brand is about although you know in that context i shouldn't probably word use the word brand but it is true that the bundesliga is all about um you know fans participating voicing their opinion being in a stadium being present away supporters as well and 
you know this sort of fragmentation of of the match day for the sake of you know maximizing TV TV right or TV income is um, not what the not, not the Bundesliga is about. And I think um, yeah, it is it is a good sign forward that this won't happen again. And what a way to finish Monday night matches <laughs> with the most plastic of of matches you could have chosen to to get out with on 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 monday nights i mean <laughs> but hey uh the, the sitting in me is looking at this and i'm thinking well it might just be one of those things you have to keep on fighting from fans point of view because you know that champions league it's going to be expanded in in what was it 2024 there are going to be more matches in that swiss cheese league model or whatever it was called Meaning that, you know, clubs like Bayern, like Dortmund, they are going to say, well, well, our players need more rest. We we need to split up the match days once again. I mean, this is going to be used as an argument going forward. This is going to be used, you know, as, as, as a justification to once again split up the match day and spread it out over more days. I mean, that, that is that is my fear going forward because, um, I mean, obviously the, the reasoning behind putting matches on Monday night was, was the fact that Europa League football kicks off on Thursday night. So the DFL uh, said that, well, players need more rest. So we have to play matches on Sunday evening and some of the matches have to be played on Monday night. So they scheduled those uh, 10 Monday night matches for one season, which in itself, I mean, as, as, as points go, I, I do understand that. But then again, these teams have big enough squads to rotate, and they have to rotate uh, if they want to want to be a competitive Europe Europa League side, anyways. But yeah, my my fear is that this is just going to be a victory that is going to be rather short lived, going by how the road that football is currently going down. Yeah, certainly, certainly right there. Uh, you know, it's only postponed, but if the if the sort of you know battle is is you know being kept up then um there are hopes that uh, you know the, the fans the supporters can voice their opinion and um and just push back as 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 much as they can i think it's a straw man argument to say that the prayers are addressed for the big clubs and that's why the monday uh, slot has to be has to be maintained um you know they've they've dealt with this otherwise and um in the end most clubs would probably or on the side of the of the supporters, so they should normally should be outnumbers. Of course, they have a um, bigger voice in in you know in any in any uh, meeting uh, that the Bundesliga clubs have the big the big names. But um, there are you know at least again come, going back to doing our maths there, they they are outnumbered. So and I hope that um, the the fan side or the fans view will prevail. This is it for another edition of Talking Football, which was as always produced by Aiden Rantoul, Manuel. Great to have you on once again. Thanks so much, Nick. Make sure to follow Manuel on Twitter at Binger05. If you want to hit up the podcast, you can find us collectively at Talking Foosball. And if you want to get your hands on some exclusive extra content, make sure to find our Patreon page. Until next week, it's goodbye for now.